some of you may have uh, heard through, is this on? There we go. Some of you may have heard uh, through Facebook, or we're going to do something a little bit unique today, holiday week, and i just been on my mind to do something a little bit different. And, um, and so uh, I have asked Mark Eaton, who many of you have uh, got to hear preach here at uh, Cornerstone at different times in the past, but I have uh, asked Mark to uh, come and join me today for kind of a conversation, if you will. Uh, a conversation, kind of a carry-on from last week a little bit, and I'll talk more about that, but uh, uh, just going to continue some thoughts that we had last week, and he and I are just going to kind of have a conversation back and forth about um, embracing the struggle, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll flesh that out for you a little bit today, and that you will be uh, challenged by it, but uh, I've introduced Mark to you several times before, so I won't uh, go into great detail, but you guys know Mark, and uh, he's been a great inspiration in my life, and Mark and Susie both, and we, uh, we love having them when they're not uh, traveling the country uh, about, uh, you know, 50 weeks out of the year. <laughs> so, uh, uh, or floating down rivers through Idaho as they just got back from. So, anyway, would you guys welcome Mark as he comes up with me? <laughs> I feel like that's uh, a welcome from my family, you know. They, these people don't need to clap, and I appreciate <laughs> that. So, well, I'll tell you what, if you have, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to... Uh, Mark chapter 9, I want to I use some scripture here to start with to uh, kind of set the table for where we want to go and uh, just some things that we're going to share. We have not really uh, scripted this out tremendously, so it's going to be a little bit spontaneous and uh, hopefully it, it's an encouragement. But there's a passage that's been on my mind and heart for several weeks now and um, it really... Uh, gets to uh, help speak to some things that we've been talking a little bit about. You guys, if you were here last week, we talked about uh, just uh, how we can face adversity in life and how much impact that can have on other people when we face adversity like Christ did. And I shared with you kind of three things that we witnessed really on the cross with Christ um, that he responded with certain characteristics, certain attitudes that had profound impact. And last week we talked about how the centurion who was in front of Jesus uh, as he was dying on the cross was profoundly impacted by Christ. And, and I talked to you about how the, the trust that Jesus showed, the love that he showed to the, to the other uh, criminal on the cross next to him, the forgiveness he showed to everybody who was putting them there, and the restraint that he showed. And all those things uh, really had dramatic impact uh, in, in the life of the centurion and I believe other people. And same thing is true for us today. But I wanted to carry on a little bit with this whole idea of struggle or adversity or hardship. Because uh, one thing I know for sure is that's relevant to all of us. I mean, yeah, we go through different seasons in life, but it's relevant to all of us. So in Mark chapter 8, let, let me just lay some groundwork here, and then we're going to see where it leads. I'm going to start in verse 31 of Mark chapter 8. It says, he uh, then began to teach them, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days, rise again. 
So he's telling his disciples, this is what's about to happen. This is what I'm about to go through. This is the struggle. This is the hardship I'm going to face. This is what's going to happen. And he's kind of been telling them these things on and off. And, and most of the time, you know, they, they're not getting it. And it says here specifically in verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. So now they're hearing it. They're hearing uh, what he's saying. And it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Which this kind of funny, interesting right there, isn't it? You know, I mean, Peter is hearing Jesus say these things. And as a matter of fact, if you look back in your text there, the, the, the portion right before this is Peter's confession of Christ. So, you know, Jesus had just asked, he'd asked the disciples, who, who's everybody say that I am? And then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And one of the other gospels tells us that Jesus looks at Peter and, and says, you know, blessed are you. That wasn't revealed to you by man, but by God. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And, and uh, so Peter's feeling really good about himself. So good that when Jesus starts to tell them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to face hardship and adversity, I'm going to die, Peter's feeling so good about himself that he pulls Jesus to the side and says, no, no, we're not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let you go through that. That's not happening. It says he rebuked him. And, and, um, and look what goes on and happens here. Verse 33 when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Get behind me, Satan. I love when I was talking to Mark the other day. We were having breakfast and kind of talking about this morning. And I was talking about this text. And he said, yeah, man, Jesus really ruined a good moment there. You know, I mean, here's Peter doing what you expect Peter to do. Hey, we're going to protect you. That's not going to happen. He's standing up for him. And Jesus is like, he rebukes him and he says, get behind me, Satan. It's always intrigued me, Jesus' response. Get behind me, Satan. And he says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I've wondered for a long time why Jesus brought Satan into the picture. I mean, why not just rebuke Peter? And, and let me just quickly tell you what I think is going on there. If we were to take the time today to look back uh, when Jesus, right before he began his ministry, we know that this says the Spirit of God led him out in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. Spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting, praying, and it says that he was, then he was tempted by Satan. And, and just as a quick summary, let me just say to you that one of the things, you know, in those uh, temptations, the three temptations were he'd been fasting 40 days, turn these stones into bread. He tempted him with throw yourself down, the angels will keep you from being hurt. And the third temptation was, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and everything if you'll just bow down to me right now. And, and one of the things that I think we don't catch sometimes when we see those three temptations is all three of those temptations were temptations away from facing adversity. 
You don't need to fast and pray. You don't need to put yourself through anything. You don't need any process in your life. You don't need to seek God like that. Just, just eat. You know, he, he tempted Jesus with, with throw yourself down and the angels won't let you stub your toe. They're not going to let you get hurt. You don't need any kind of adversity in your life. You don't need any suffering in your life whatsoever. The angels will take care of you. He says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world which Jesus was going to have, right? But I'll just give them to you right now if you'll just bow to me. In other words, you don't need to go through what you're going to have to go through. All three temptations spoke to whether Jesus was going to have and deal with adversity in his life or not. That's what they were. So when Jesus says to Peter here in Mark 8, get behind me, Satan. You don't have, you don't have the things of God on your mind. The reason he brought Satan into that conversation was because Jesus in that moment was hearing the same temptation from all the way back at the beginning. You don't need to go through this. You don't need to face this. You don't need to suffer. That was the temptation that he faced before he began his ministry. And he was hearing those same words from Peter right then. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to face adversity. We can keep you from facing those things. You don't have to walk this out. And I believe Jesus' response to Peter was because he was hearing that voice again, that same temptation, as he knew he was about to walk into Jerusalem and face what he was about to face. And so in this passage, you know, we learn something. We learn how important adversity is. We, we, we realize that... Uh, um, that hardship and that difficulty is something that's um, used by God. And we see it in our leader, in our Savior, as he's walking those things out. And uh, we need to resist the temptation of seeing adversity in our life as something outside of God's will. Just think about that for a moment. That's why Jesus was rebuking Peter. He's saying, listen, you've got the things of man on your mind, which is comfort, which is convenience, which is no adversity. And he says, but the things of God, you don't have the things of God in mind right now because sometimes the things of God have everything to do with adversity. So this passage of scripture has really been impacting me as I you know, deal with certain things in my own life and think about you and things that you deal with. And so um, I'm just going to use that as a, as a piggyback, uh, something we can jump off of and, and discuss a little bit because this is something that's really um, something that Mark has profound insight about as well and, and has done a lot of research and a lot of study. And so I'm just going to ask Mark at this moment just, uh, you know, just, just to kind of springboard off of that and share with us uh, thoughts that you might have when it, re when it, it relates to um, hardship, adversity, struggle, and, uh, and the transformation work in our lives. Uh, Scott, I thought you did a fabulous job with that passage, uh, especially the last sentence you said that we, we feel like uh, struggle is outside of God's will. And when I, I would contend that the opposite is true. Uh, life's hardships are precisely um, 
in the, in the center of what God has for our journey. Uh, sometimes the conservative church has the idea that if I'm struggling, God is punishing me for something. I've been bad. And uh, that if life is easy, then I'm blessed. And uh, I, I think that's really a, sets all of us up for uh, the wrong kind of thing when life's hardships come. Um, uh, and this, this topic is huge, and it has all kinds of textures and sides and different corners to it. So, uh, you know, we're just going to grab a corner of it this morning. But really liked what you said there. Great. Thanks. Um, I, you know, I, th I think one of the things he, he mentioned that I really relate to is this whole idea that you, you, you think you're blessed if everything is smooth all the time. And um, I came to a real conclusion, an understanding in my own life that was um, really instructive. And that is that uh, until about eight years ago, I had never faced hardship in my life. I mean, I, I know that sounds crazy, but I just had never experienced adversity and all of my life, I just thought I was blessed. And when I faced adversity, I realized that not facing adversity is a great hindrance. It holds us back. It, 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 it's, um, it stumps our growth. It stunts our growth. It, it, it keeps us uh, in a place where um, we don't know what perseverance is. We don't know what endurance is. We don't know what maturity is. And, um, man, it was so profound for me when I came to a point where I realized that um, how much my life had been held back and hindered because for whatever reason I had not faced adversity. And, um, I, you know, I'm 45 years old. I, I think my life began about 36, 37 I mean, that's when life, in, in, in a lot of ways, began. And um, that's where I got to experience what's inside of me and what's not inside of me. That's where I got to learn who God is. Um, that's where I got to learn what I'm capable of with God inside of me. James says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, produces maturity. And who doesn't want that? We all need that in our lives. And... Uh, we need to stop viewing the, the struggles of this life as um, the enemy because uh, that's just not the case at all. Mark? Exactly. 
immediate. Yeah. We, and we take, sometimes we take that very true uh, event and what we do is we build a doctrine about suffering that says something like this, God, God is preparing you right now for something greater. And, but I don't know about you, but when I'm suffering, I don't want greater suffering. God's preparing you now, the doctrine says, or the theology. God's preparing you now because what you're going to face later, man, that was taught to me as a kid, and I was scared about my future because this is just a stepping stone to what you're going to suffer and take up your cross, and the next suffering is going to be bigger, so you need to learn this now. And I think that really puts a fear in us. It's true that, that Jesus began his ministry with that very dynamic um, uh, father speaking from heaven and then coming up and immediately being tested. And uh, one of the messages I think we can take from that is if anybody lived the Christian life, it would be Christ in the beginning of his Christian life was a very difficult journey, 40 days of fasting. So, um, Mark, talk to us a little bit about, and I know this is something that you've done a lot of study and research on, but just the whole idea that, that growth and transformation in our life is, uh, happens under pressure. Well, my wife has a 205-pound deadlift. Let me just start saying that. She's... <laughs> She's closer, to, she's closer to 60 than she is to 50, and um, she began that journey about seven years ago. Um, she didn't develop a 205-pound deadlift at 58 years old by um, not st straining those muscles, and so she became stronger by really hard work. And there is something about the dynamic of the Christian life that we do step into a place that's out of our comfort zone, into our risk zone, and we stretch, and we get bruised up, and we realize, whoa, I survived that. I, I, I made that. I, I'm, I'm okay. And we, we've got some people in, in this room who obviously uh, use iron to build their bodies, uh, from athletes to adults to old guys like me. And if we don't hurt afterwards, then our muscles aren't going to grow. And there is something very... Uh, in that physical analogy that touches what I, a very shallow part of what I think the spiritual lesson is. In my thoughts on suffering are, are profound, or a lot, uh, but there's, there's, uh, there's sort of acute suffering, which is uh, I, I just lost somebody I love and I hurt. Lost a son, lost a child, I have lip cancer, I got a divorce, uh, I'm, I'm very sick. Uh, I hurt now. It hurts bad. Uh, it's externally generated, and, but it's, it's acute. It's temporary. It's, it's seasonal. Then there's sort of the perpetual suffering, which means, which is a sort of, why does this depression haunt me year after year? Why can't I lose the weight? Uh, why doesn't my husband uh, pick up after himself? Uh, why, why does my wife change the subject when we talk about serious things? Uh, why does my pastor always uh, talk about everybody else, but he never shares about his own life, unlike you? 
Um, why don't my children call me? There's this perpetual thing that uh, I had an accident when I was a kid, and I live with this limp like Jacob for the rest of my life. That's sort of a perpetual suffering. The other category are, is that suffering that's sort of self-inflicted. Uh, I, I smoked for 50 years, and now I have throat cancer, right? And so that's a suffering that's, that's sort of internally came our way. Or I eat donuts and two donuts coffee every breakfast and have a hamburger every lunch, and now I can't go hiking with Susie. Uh, that, that internal kind of thing. And, and then there's the external suffering that's perpetual, which would be the idea of the depression or, or the country we live in. Or if you were a Syrian Christian right now or a Jordanian Christian or an Egyptian Christian or a Palestinian Christian, you would have this perpetual sense of somebody else has put me in a situation that I can't change. The abuse that some of us maybe suffered as children would be that sort of perpetual external induced suffering. And each of these has its own textures. Um, I think you're probably referring specifically to the Jonah conversation we had. I, th I think Eugene Peterson talks about this uh, a lot, but the idea of physical training produces a pressure. It produces a uh, intensity. Someone who trains really hard gets, gets a hyper focus. Their world just comes in and this is all they see right there and they can hardly breathe. Their, their heart rate is up around 180, 190, 200, and their chest, their heart is pounding out of their chest, and once this is over, they're gonna just fall on the floor. Um, if you ask them to solve a simple math problem, what is three plus seven, they might not be able to do it right then. They, they are so uh, compressed, if you will, so they've, they've been beat so much that life is very narrow. If, if during a workout that's happening to me and Susie says, hey, do you want to have some dinner with somebody tonight? I won't even hardly hear that question because I'm in this space that doesn't have much room for anything else. Another space like that we find throughout Scripture uh, as well as without Scripture. We find it in Bonhoeffer's prison. We find it in uh, Jesus's journey, particularly when he went to Jerusalem. And we find it in jo Jonah's whale. Now, Eugene Peterson uses the analogy of Jonah's whale. Uh, jo Jonah realized, okay, I'm the reason. Have you, re have you read the book of Jonah? I'm the reason this storm is happening. I'm your curse. I'm why we will all die. So Jonah went upstairs uh, up above board, and he threw himself overboard. It's not like he said, throw me over. He, threw, he jumped. He said, I know I'm outside of God's will. I know I'm doing what I shouldn't be doing. And he jumped overboard to commit suicide, career suicide, if you will. He needed to be going to Nineveh instead of the other place where he was going. And a big whale picked him up, and the story says for three days uh, he was inside that belly of the whale. That's the idea of the Greek word axis. Not, not like an axle, but it's spelled differently, A-S-K-I-S-I, -I. axis, which is a damp, compressed, dark place where we get worked by the stomach. You with me? And this is, my husband just left me. 
and I didn't see it coming. It just works us. At night, it works us. We have thoughts about it. We have feelings about it. But there's something that is even deeper than that that he is here. I've had people say, I feel like I'm going to vomit. I feel like I've just got a blow to the body. And that's that idea of access where we're being worked and worked and worked. I'm in junior high, and all of my friends suddenly betrayed me, and now they start making fun of me. That's that huge disappointment that just works us and works us and works us and works us. And it's hard. And it's, and some of you are nodding. It's difficult. It's not easy. But, and this is, a, this is a sentence you and I agreed on, Scott. In that working, we can rest because we know God is up to something. We don't know what God's up to. But we know he's up to something. Because God's always up to something. Now your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I um, you know, I, that description uh, of Jonah and, and, and as Mark goes through that, I mean, I can just see, you know, as I look around the room, I see, see it in your eyes. Many of you just as he describes that uh, in different ways that you feel that, you've felt that, you've experienced that, you, and you don't know what to do with that. And... Um, um, Part of what today is about and, and just touching on this subject, that's why I'm entitled Embracing the Struggle or Embracing the Adversity, is that um, I, I want today to ultimately to be a, a place where you're uplifted, where you're encouraged to see the struggle, the hardship, and embrace it. Don't run from it, run to it. Like, like realize that, that it's in that place that God is up to something wonderful in your life. And that's the hardest thing. And it's hard to even speak about it because, you know, I don't want, to, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. Uh, that there's been people in this room, you, you've experienced things I've never experienced, and they are uh, terribly difficult. And I don't want to come across and flip it way, any way, shape, or form, flip it towards any suffering that you have gone through. But I do want to bring encouragement to the fact that God has a plan. And what we see in Christ, we know is true also in our life, is that he is redemptively at work in the midst of any and all suffering and adversity in your life. And I would go so far as to say, Scott, that, that, that suffering or hardships are probably more the norm than otherwise. Scott Peck wrote a great book called The Road Less Traveled. All you need to read is the first chapter. And of the first chapter, all you need to read is the first page. And of the first page, all you need to know is the first sentence is three words. Life is difficult. His next sentence, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, goes on to say, those who understand the idea that life is difficult automatically have an easier life. 
those who think life should be easy will have a very hard life. Now, my son's going to officer candidate school. He's pretty confident going to officer candidate school in Quantico, Virginia. He, he leaves in a week. Because he's been through Marine Corps boot camp, and he's been through hell week before. He's been through infantry training, and he knows one thing. I will survive. These college students who have graduated from school and got accepted to officer candidate school, they haven't been through boot camp yet. And maybe they're a little bit soft because a senator or a congressman or an influential businessman wrote them a letter and got them in. And uh, he says they're going to be scared to death at boot camp. His idea is, I know boot camp's going to be hard. I don't expect it to be easy. I don't expect mercy. I don't expect anything. So I'm going to cruise through it. Because what I want, what I expect, will be what I get. These guys are going to be expecting a warm bed soon. They're going to give us a break sometime. These guys are going to be thinking, I might not live. And all that noise is going to make life very difficult for him. We've got... We've got the book of Job written in the Bible. It wasn't taken out, and it, doesn't, it, it has a bit of a happy ending, but the moral of the story is not, and they lived happily ever after. We've got Jeremiah in the Bible, a book written by a guy who struggled. We've even got a book called Lamentations about lamenting. We've got a psalm, Psalms 39, that says, God, I wish you would go away so I could be happy like I used to be. And we've got Paul saying, we're, we're pressed, but we're not dead. We're, we're having hardships, but we're still going. And this idea that suffering is the, the more of the norm, but our Christian church has done such a disservice, and forgive me if, if I offend you, forgive me in event. We've done such a good disservice by saying, if you pray, God will bless you. If you give, God will bless you. If you live the right life, God will bless you. And we do, and I'll, I'm going to pound my fist, karate chops, we do damage to our young people by selling them that Santa Claus view of God. If you're a good boy, God, God gives you good things. Now, I'm angry about that because we've lost a lot of kids once they realize I've been a good boy. And God hasn't given me the desires of my heart. And my older brother and my younger brother are one of them, two of them. My younger brother with a degree from Multnomah Seminary um, in theology who's now professing atheist because God is a fairy tale. I would go so far, Scott, and you can, you can ping pong off of this, is to say suffering is the norm. Let it be. It's okay. God's up to something. We may never know what he's up to, ever. My dad is long dead. I'm still seeing the fruit of my father's efforts in my life, but he doesn't know about it 30 years later. Yeah. We don't know. Moses never got to see the promised land, et cetera, et cetera. And God is up to something. God is up to something big and divine and very, very good that we may get to see glimpses of, and at that moment we go, oh, wow, that was nice. But most of the time we'll never get to see what God is really up to.
So in our suffering, we just do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. And, and I, we didn't talk about this, Scott, but I think a good idea for us, a, a biblical model would, would be to learn how to suffer well. How that, to suffer well. And that goes back to, uh, you know, really a lot of what we talked about last week. Watching Jesus and the way he suffered. Watching the way he faced adversity. And the trust that he had with God. And the love he showed to those around him. And the forgiveness and the restraint that he had. How he didn't just react in that suffering and just flail about. And I don't know about you guys, but when I suffer, my flesh just screams out. I mean, there's a part of me that just wants to whine and wants to tell everybody I come in contact with how bad I'm suffering. And I want everybody, I mean, it's just part of me. It wants, you know, to, to do that. And we watch Jesus and the, the restraint that he had. And it, it, it really brought me back to this. Let me re- share this passage with you as we begin to kind of wrap up. Hebrews 12 uh, says this, and listen, listen carefully. The, uh, uh, everything we've been talking about, and listen to to our Savior. It says, "Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us." That that speaks to the race marked out for us. It's we all have a race marked out for us, and it's different for each of us. And some of us, we all have different kinds of adversity on that race marked out for us. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now watch this. Again, we're going to see the example. For the joy. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Did you hear that? who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How did he endure the cross? How did he face hardship? How did he face struggle? He did it because of the joy set before him because he knew God was up to something. The joy set before Jesus was the redemption that God was bringing as a result of his death and ultimately his resurrection. The joy set before him was the restoration that was going to come between us and God because of the work that was happening at that moment. So so our, our encouragement today is Let us run our life. Let us run the race marked out for us. And let's do it by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And let's do it in a way that that because of the joy set before us, that we know God is up to something, that we can endure the cross, we can endure the hardship, we can endure the adversity. It says, consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And that's the encouragement for us today. That's why I could, could, could title a, a, a message, Embrace the Struggle. Let me just say to you today, let me ask you to think for a moment, what is hard in your life right now? What is hard? What is hard? 
Is it a relationship? Is it finances? Is it health? Is it uh, feeling alone? Is it regret and shame? Is it confusion? What is hard in your life right now? Embrace it. Face it. Run to it. Don't run from it. As Mark was saying, you don't see it as the, as the part of life that is the anomaly that is just a time where nothing's good and everything's hard and um, there's, there's no joy to be found anywhere. Embrace it because you know that the scripture teaches us all throughout from beginning to end that it's the place of wilderness, it's the place of the desert, it's the place of struggle and hardship and adversity that God is up to his greatest good. Scott, I'm thinking of a, uh, a story that uh, will, <clears throat> you might want to wrap on this. 1992, I was at, at Azusa Pacific College in California speaking. Some classes, and uh, one of the uh, administrators asked me if I wanted to go for a run afterwards. He said he's going to go run with some, some of the tr track team. So I showed up for an afternoon run about 3 o'clock, and, and uh, who I showed up with was a, uh, who was there was a group of Africans. And uh, they looked pretty athletic. And as we got running, I realized we're going to do a three-mile warm-up, and I was running with the Nigerian National Olympic team, <laughs> the uh, the middle distance middle distance folks, and these guys were you know they were six foot three, all legs, a little platform for their head to sit on, kind of thing, <laughs> and uh, so I managed my way through the three-mile warm-up and. Uh, as they went on to do some other exercises and what have you, I was laying on the f uh, laying on the field, <clears throat> and uh, in CrossFit we say embrace the suck. Uh, I was sucking, but I can't say I was embracing it. Well, their coach was a Christian man. His name was Innocence. He was an Olympic champion. Uh, earlier than that, he'd been given a Christian name and. Uh, of innocence. He came over and he sat down beside me graciously and he said, Mark, you know what I tell my athletes before a race? I said, no! <laughs> and he said, I tell them to glance at the pain and gaze at the cross. I tell them to glance at the pain. Don't deny it. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't spiritualize it and flowery it up. Glance at that pain, see it, know it, understand it. It tells you something. But then gaze back at the cross. I have used that since 1992 many, many, many times to uh, uh, glance at the pain and gaze at the cross. And there's something about embracing the suffering in that little story that I, I think is very good. Scott, thanks for letting me join you. I'll tell you what I want to do just to wrap up is um, I know that, uh, that 
there's several of you in this room that have things going on and there's struggles and not that I know what those things are, but I see it in your eyes and I know. And I just want to take a moment and pray for you, all of you, but especially those. And uh, I, I, just, I just ask, there's no reason for us, we're, we're among family, that if you are in the midst of adversity right now, would you just just kind of just let me know. Just kind of slip your hand up a little bit. Just say, man, I, just, I need you to pray for me in the midst of uh, whatever it is that's going on in your life at this moment. Just go ahead and do that. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Let's take a moment and let's, uh, let's look to this God who um, is so at work. And um, let's trust him. Father God, we, uh, we come to you right now, and uh, we just confess that life is hard. And I'm so grateful this morning that, that you have made adversity and hardship um, the place in which you do your greatest works. So at least we can, even though everything may be crashing in on us and closing in on us, we can allow our faith today to, to, to kind of to, to rise up and realize that, God, you're at work and we, we want to trust you. And we want to look to you and we want to surrender to what it is that you want to do in us. And I am just eternally grateful for your redemptive work in our lives. And I pray that today for the people in this room who find themselves right now in the midst of struggle and hardship. I pray that their faith would arise. Not a faith that would become unrealistic and not a faith that would uh, talk like things aren't hard, but a faith that, uh, as Mark said, would take a glimpse at the pain, but then would look to the cross and see you and see your suffering and see what you did through that suffering and what you accomplished through that suffering and know that you are up to something in our lives and that we believe it and we are looking for it and we're going to trust you in the midst of it. So I pray that for those today who are at a difficult place. May they rejoice today. May they find an ability to rejoice that you have not left us in your suffering. You have gone before us and that you're with us and you're coming behind us and you are up to something. Father God, we love you. We remember the words of Jesus. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Amen. Well, I hope that you've been uh, blessed. Maybe something today was spoken that uh, really will stick with you. And uh, appreciate Mark um, coming and being a part. Would you guys give him a hand? Oh, he said he didn't like a hand. So uh, um, I'll tell you what, we'll just, uh, uh, just dismiss from here um, and uh, you guys hang around, love on each other a little bit and have a blessed week.
God bless you.